0: God. Father, thank you for another opportunity as always. We're careful, Father, to be thankful. Lord, that's what we need to be, Father, is to stir up thankfulness, Father God. Lord, we are grateful for what we receive from you, O oh God. We're grateful for who you are more than anything. And we desire your presence. We desire to know you, O oh God, the way that you desire for us to know you. And that's what we're doing as we encounter your word and and as Father God, we receive the engrafted word that's able to save our souls, Father God, and we, and bring the reality, Father, of our of, of what is a spiritual thing, Lord, to a to our mind, will, and emotions, Father God. And we just thank you for revelation, Holy Spirit. We thank you that you're the teacher, and that you bring divers revelation, divers ability, Father, to hear, to see, Lord God. We just praise you for all that you're going to do tonight. And I give you all the glory and honor in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so let's uh go right into this. We talked we started a study last week talking about restoring David's tabernacle, and I, I told you all in the con in the um introduction of it last week. You need to go back and listen to the tape last week. We're not going to cover any of that ground or even to review it really. Um my intent and purpose was not to give an exhaustive, you know, you know. A diatribe of, of the concepts of David's tabernacle. I mean, I'm just going to talk about a few concepts of it. There is a lot of teaching out there. There's a lot of things, uh, um, that you can go get off the internet. Just be careful. Listen to your heart as you're going through it, like anything else. Listen to the co-witness and uh, eat the hay and spit out the stubble. Uh, but I feel like that it, now is the time I feel like this is just an appointed time. The Lord wants to bring forth some some understanding and kind of kind of get our our minds in a place of light about some things. Because guess what? He's preparing us to go somewhere deeper. Amen. He's preparing this body to go somewhere deeper, to go to places we've never been before. And you know, to go somewhere that you've never been before, you have to prepare. You can't just take a trip and go to a place you've never been before unless you have a little preparation, can you? I know some crazy people that just decide to go take off on trips, but usually they've got a big old wallet full of money. There's preparation because they they have no uh, uh, concern for budget because guess what? They can go out and pay for anything they encounter as they encounter. Well, that's preparation to a degree. But usually, you know, most people, when they go on a big trip... I don't know about you, but I'm not going to just strike off and go overseas someplace I've never been before unless I do a lot of preparation. You know, God, it's no different in the kingdom of God and on this spiritual journey that we're on, and it's a spiritual journey. Although I believe that we we taste, feel, touch, I, we experience most of it through the senses and 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 the the shallow concept that our mind and soul can can you know endure in that. We need to go beyond that. That's what God's preparing us for. He's preparing us because we are spirit first, folks. Spirit first. Then we have a soul. We live in a body. We are not spirit conscious like we need to be. We're not. I'm not. I'm getting, I'm growing there. And I, I by I have an unction of the Holy One, like the Bible says. And my unction tells me constantly continue to pronounce the emphasis on the spirit and uh, and developing our spirits because we're spirit first. And, um, okay, so we're, we're preparing. And so I feel like there's some things, uh, uh, just perceiving things in the spirit that need to be delivered here. Man, the Lord's given me so much. And I'm just like, man, we only have three weeks this month. We may end up going into next month with this. I don't know. We're just going to follow the spirit of God, though, right? In what we're doing, that's what we're endeavoring to do. So we've got some concepts talking about David's tabernacle. And I've got to tell you that as we're building through, we're, we're going through um, some history here leading up to the time that David's tabernacle actually comes into existence. And you're going to wonder probably to a little bit of a degree, why are we spending so much time leading up to that time? We spent the entire week last week talking about elements leading up to the time. We're gonna finish that tonight. It's like, well, let's get right on to David's Tabernacle. Well, the problem is, is that you have to understand what David's Tabernacle was born out of. Why it even came about. The concept of, why, why did it even come about? The reason why it came about is, is the history that precedes it. The events that preceded it. And that's what we're talking about. There's some wonderful lessons. Some wonderful lessons to be learned in the reasoning for david's tabernacle the reasons for it and that's what we're talking about we talked about this last week and we're going to continue that tonight okay so um i'm not going to go over a view i'm just going to jump right into where we left off and last week we left off talking about the loss of the ark does everyone remember that in first samuel how many of y'all went and read first samuel chapters one through five at least okay great so that gives you some, uh, gives you a little bit more of the detail that I left out in terms of the actual story of that occurrence. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take up where we left off about the loss of the ark in 1 Samuel chapter 4. And you know we talked about this a little bit last week, but I've got some things that I needed to develop just a little bit further. Israel battles in verse 2 the Philistines, but they suffered defeat. And... What happens is, is that the, the army comes back and then the elders get together and they talk about why, why it was that they're defeated. You know, what's the issue? I mean, oh, that's a good thing to do. I mean, when, as leadership, you know, whenever something doesn't turn out like you, you think it should, you're going to get together and have a confab about it, aren't you? I mean, you're going to talk a little bit about, hey, what, what do we think went wrong here? The problem is the elders came to the wrong conclusion. They came to the conclusion that God abandoned them. That God allowed them to be defeated. And even questioned that in verse 3. And so they decided, they contrived, the elders contrived, the leadership contrived. The concept that, hey, you know what? God didn't come out with us when we went to battle, so we'll just bring God out into the battle. Okay, man, there's a lot of prophetic symbolism here that applies to where we are at right now. I mean, I'm telling you, there's no difference here. There's no difference because, and that's what we're going to learn in these lessons uh, as we lead up to actual David going back to, ret- to return the ark back to its rightful place among the people. So then, so they make this decision to go move the ark into the midst of, of their circumstance. Man, that means so many things because of what the ark represents. It represents the presence of God. It represents the covenant of God. It represents all kinds of things, the mercies of God. There's all kinds of stuff represented in the ark, but the bottom line is it represents the presence of God dwelling with men <laughs> back in the day. You know, and I I, I felt like, you know, that it was important to bring an admonition to leaders. And I said, you know, we need to be careful, leaders. You know, and I pointed it at... at ken hall and at cornell and you know because we and we were the only you know uh from an executive leadership team i was looking particularly at us but the bottom line is here's the deal i don't want to to cast the vision of the burden of this responsibility on only the church leadership the most important burden of this is in the home amen or oh me It is in the home, and it's the priests, the leaders, the husband, the fathers in the home that need to be careful in these concepts, more than any. Okay? So what happened is, is that they looked at the presence and power of God as a matter of process. See, here's the problem. They looked at the presence of God with them as a matter of process, a formula that they could just go ahead and exact and reap a result from. Well, if I take A plus B plus 2 times C, I'm going to get this result. Because guess what? It happened in the past. And so we'll just work this. We'll exercise this formula and produce the same result. Because is it not true that as the ark went before the people back in the day with Moses and them, they had some tremendous victories, did they not? Tremendous things. I think that the elders looked at that and said, well, you know, we messed, we messed up, you know, we did, we'll just bring out God with us in the middle of this battle. And then that'll make the difference. That's one of the issues, one of the errors. They looked at God's presence as a matter of process. Okay? Rather than partnership. Partnership implies relationship. Process, there is no relationship. Y'all see that? They, they, they forgot the partnership and went to the process focused on the process of the, of God's presence with them. And the reason for that's because they'd seen the exploits before. Now the whole time I'm talking, I just believe the Holy ghost will, will, will shine a light on your life from a prophetic standpoint, as it pertains to how we may be doing these same things in our life, as it pertains to the, the, the presence of God, the anointing his manifestation among us, what we carry. We're the ark now. We carry the presence of God. Okay? So they were looking as they always had at the hand of God. Okay, so I'm, I'm developing this just a little bit further. They looked at the process, not the partnership. They looked at the hand of God and not the person of God. That's where the error comes in here, folks among other things but this is the grievous error. Psalm 103:7 it's a wonderful scripture and it's something that that I've memorized from from years back about how God revealed his ways to Moses but he only revealed his deeds to the people. See there's a way there's a huge difference between ways and deeds. And if you look at the Hebrew word that ways was actually translated from it actually means a path or a road, or a mode of action. God revealed to Moses his mode of action, why he acts the way he does, what his road, what his pathway is in the process of relationship. And that's the only way it's revealed is in the process of relationship. The problem was the people didn't have that relationship. So guess what? They just saw the exploits of God over and over and over again. The results of that Process of, the, of that relationship, of that pathway, of that mode of action that was revealed to Moses. And I got to—I got to correct something. I kept talking about—I don't know about you all, but sometimes I'll have these like inversion things in my mind, and I replace—I supplant Abraham with Moses, and Moses with Abraham. <laughs> so if I do that, you all know who I'm talking about, right? <laughs> Last week, Mel said you kept saying Abraham was stood in a place of intercession, you know, before the people. Well, I know it's Moses. Well, I know, but you said Abraham. I said, what? I guess I said it four or five times. And even somebody was up here, you know, trying to, to, trying to get my attention, but I was so, so moved, (laughs) moved with, you know, under what was going on there. I had such a steam behind what I was doing. I didn't even, I was oblivious to it. So anyway, we have this treasure in earthen vessels, right? (laughs) Praise the Lord. Okay, but the deeds there, his ways to Moses, but his deeds to the people of Israel, the deeds are the exploits or the action. Okay? So I want us to think about that. Where are we at in that scripture? Are we with Moses where we are seeking and desire to know the ways of God? Or are we in the place of the rest of the people beyond Moses who, was be, who were being led in that really all we're concerned with is just the actions of God, eh, his deeds, What's he doing for us? Not really concerned about the partnership. Not really focused on pursuing the relationship with God to know his ways. Verses 4 through 11 in First Samuel chapter 4. So then what happens is, is that the men go to retrieve the ark under the elders' counsel, under their directive, and the priests allow the ark to be taken. Of all things, folks the one who are put who are anointed and put in charge to tend to the presence of the living god with the people allow people to come up not only in the midst of where that presence is at but allow them to ha- to actually remove that presence from its rightful location and 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 carry out the plans of men in the process And then the the really grievous I mean that's if that wasn't grieving enough, then we have to just go exponentially higher in the in the process in the sin here and escort it to the battlefield. I'm talking about the priests did this, the sons of Eli. And the issue was is that Eli, who was the high priest, the father of those two boys that escorted the presence of God out from amidst from its rightful place and leveraged it for the plans of men. The problem is is that Eli could have stopped it all along, and he didn't because he honored his sons more than God. That's That was the, the huge issue there. Eli, the high priest, the one with whom the buck stopped, honored his sons. He honored something else more than God, and it cost him the presence of God. Folks, there's so many lessons we're, we can learn here. So many lessons we can learn here. It's the same today. Nothing has changed. We talk about wanting the presence of God. We talk about seeking first that presence, that kingdom. We talk about wanting to see the manifestations of God. We've got a lot to learn here in this. Because there's, there are things that will cost you the presence of God. There are things that will inhibit or prohibit or cause to come under control the presence of God in our midst. Y'all, y'all see where we're going with this? How important it is? Why it's so important? Because guess what? We're making preparations to go somewhere deeper. Amen, Pastor. Going deeper. Making preparations to do that. Okay. So then they then the priests, you know, Phineas and Hophni, they escort the presence of God, the ark of God out there into the middle of the battlefield. And Israel suffers an even greater defeat. And, and, and if that wasn't enough, insult to injury, the ark is captured by the enemy and actually taken from them. Oh, my goodness. How bad can it get? How bad can your defeat be as a covenant partner with God? You know, to the place that you've, you have exposed, you know, the presence of God. You've subjected it to the hands of the enemy. And that's exactly what these, what these people did. So the ark is representative of the presence of God. It's representative of the anointing. The anointing is very simply, if you will, from the Hebrew, the smeared on, rubbed on, potential power of god upon the life of man it's what he puts upon you to do something he's called you to do it's his power his ability not man's ability his ability it's the super on the natural that's god's anointing okay So the ark is representative of that presence it's representative of that anointing and the people tried to leverage the hand of god they tried to repre- to leverage his presence and his power as an attempt to deal with circumstance but they didn't try to 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 they didn't try to beseech of the one from the which the power comes to find out his plan as it concerns what they were supposed to do in order to see the, the result or his deeds manifest. They were just concerned about the deeds, the exploits, being manifest in their midst. They didn't care about the ways. Like Moses knew his ways, the people knew his deeds. We're back to that scripture again. So important. And here's the deal, uh, um My brothers and sisters, God operates independent of circumstance. You know, circumstance doesn't make a hill of beans to God. He's above circumstance. Does everyone understand that or see that he knows the end from the beginning? There's nothing going to catch God by surprise. Let's just go ahead and get that out there if we don't understand that. But yet I think we 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 honestly believe that. It's like, God, what are you going to do now? That's kind of what you see here and how these people are, are behaving and how they're responding. And what we've got to get to is we've got to get to the understanding and the trust that God is not just an option in our lives. He's not just something that we can exercise when we come to the end of our rope. But yet, I think that's where God is in the order or hierarchy Of things that we, that we try to, to, and and then what we try to do is, is leverage that option in the middle of the circumstance. And there's a lot of lessons here, folks. He is not plan B. He is not plan C or any other plan. He is plan A and there is only one plan and it's God. Amen or oh me. And like I said before, he's not a bottled genie that we just release at our discretion or at our whim. And I think a lot of times yet we approach God from that perspective. It's like, oh, God, I need you now. And then out pops the God to produce his exploits for your purpose. To meet your needs. That's not, that's not the God we serve, folks. We're in relationship here. He's not subservient to us. And so when we try to push or conduct the things of God according to our agenda, then what we can see is just like they did back then, we can subject ourselves to defeat. We can subject ourselves even to, to, to judgment because of it. And so here's a good question and we're gonna, we're gonna develop this a little bit tonight because I think this is very important. What must we do to create, nurture, and protect an atmosphere for God's presence, His anointing? What is it that we need to do? And in, and really even go deeper than that, how do we do it? Does anyone think that that might be a relevant question for today? What is it that we need to do? Because, you know, I've heard, you know, uh, said before, if you always do what you've always done, you're going to keep on getting what you've always got. And you can say that a bunch of different ways, but I like that way of saying it. And that's a That's the truth. And, you know, it's, it's really not even stupidity. It's almost like like insanity to expect a different result. And then you don't change. If we don't change what we're doing, how can we expect a different result? Y'all, y'all agree with that? Yeah. Amen. So what is it that we must do? I, I would say this. We, we must do whatever it takes. Not just one or two things, but I mean whatever it takes to create and nurture and protect the atmosphere for God's presence, the atmosphere for his anointing. So how do we do this? The first thing I feel like the Holy Spirit brought to me, to my uh, heart, is that we honor God above all else. And I know a lot of people saying, well, duh. But honor is, and you remember we talked about the scripture last week that Samuel, uh, or it was brought forth in First Samuel, I think, chapter 2, you know, they that honor me, I will honor Those that don't honor me, I will lightly esteem. We have to honor God above all else. And what do you mean by that, Greg? I mean, you have to esteem God above all else. Does that mean above what? Above people. I remember Jesus making a comment to some people whenever he was telling some people to come follow him. And he said, well, wait a minute. I need to go bury my father. You remember this story? And he said, let the dead bury the dead, son. You come on with me. Let's go. You know, you remember that? That seemed very harsh. You know, and then he talks about people that are going to follow me are going to have to basically hate their mother and their brother and all this kind of stuff. Well, he doesn't mean that you've got to pull up and anger and all this kind of stuff. He just means that you have to honor him and his call in your life above those of your relatives even, which are going to have the strongest uh, tie to you. The strongest influence. And they should. But you know that he knew, he knew very, very much that a lot of family was not going to stand with where you're supposed to go with God. Amen? Has anyone been there? Have you ever walked some steps in your life with God that went completely apart from the family tradition? From the family belief system? And maybe even came under ridicule for it? Maybe maybe even got ostracized, got the left foot of fellowship. Maybe it came from a church that you were formerly in. Well, praise the Lord. We have to honor God, yes, above people. Above people. We have to honor God above tradition. You know, tradition can be wonderful, but it can also be a big old body of death, too, for us. It can be a big old stinking corpse in the nostril of God. Just because you do something, just because that's the way you've always been doing it, doesn't mean that you're doing what God called you to do. You have to honor God above tradition. Doesn't mean that necessarily God may have called it. And you know, here's the issue. The problem is, is that people start out doing what God's called them to do, and they see, guess what, the exploit... The result of God's hand in the process, so they camp out on it. And then, because guess what? It becomes a formula then at that point in time. Because, oh, it works, so now this is what we're supposed to do. Because we saw the exploits of God when we did this before. Y'all see that? That's not what you're supposed to do. (laughs) We're led by God in the process. Did Jesus go about? Constantly making mud with spit and putting it in blind people's eyes in order to heal blind eyes? No. I mean, I only see that recorded, you know, a couple times where where he spit to produce a creative miracle. Which is pretty gross to me. And I would really have to question somebody and probably stand back with a couple eyebrows up in the air if I saw someone doing that. But yet Jesus did that. Did he make a doctrine out of it called the spit doctrine? That for, for blind eyes, these certain blind eyes, we're going to spit in the mud and make mud and put it in the eye. For people that have certain uh, speech impediments, we're going to take spit on my finger and I'm going to touch their tongue with it. Do you see where I'm, what I'm saying? No. I think this is in my opinion, IMO to use the text language. IMO, in my opinion, I believe that he is 100% led by the Holy Ghost, and it was, a, it was a moment in spirit that led him. And he followed the unction, and I bet his mind the whole time was saying, dear Lord, what am I doing? I've been there. I've been there following the unction, and the whole time my soul is like going, what, now what am I doing? <laughs> you know. Not, but that's the deal. The soul comes after the spirit. Now the soul is a seat of decision making. You make, you have a will to make the decision to follow the unction in your soul. And Jesus did that. And I think he just, in my opinion, I believe that he just did that kind of stuff just to confound the the wise among us. <laughs> you know? I believe there's also prophetic symbolism in it. And I don't have time to rabbit trail on that, but I could talk about, about the spit. God gave me a revelation standing back there talking to uh, Kylie and, and Dominique one night about that. We about had a happy dance over it. Okay. So honor God above all else. You know, religious service itself can take the preeminence over God, whom the action should be serving to please and to seek and to follow. Amen? Amen. I mean, the things that we do in service unto God can actually take a preeminence above the purpose of why you're doing it. And that is to please seek and follow God. And the thing is, in this story that we see, the ark should have never left the temple. But the one responsible, the high priest Eli, he continued to honor his sons over God. And we're talking about the first element of what it takes to protect the presence of God, to create an atmosphere for him, to protect and create an atmosphere for the anointing to be present and to be at work in our midst. We honor God above all else. And so the question then is, is there anything in our lives that we might honor or esteem more than God? That's the question we have to leave from this concept with. We need to question that. And so as leaders into church, in in the home, at school, at work, wherever it might be, whenever you're in, you' your endeavor is to constantly follow the presence of the Lord and, and have that have the kingdom of God at hand, right wherever you go. So your your goal is to do what it takes to nurture and create that potential you know an atmosphere for that potential. And the number one thing is to honor God above all else. so you have to be constantly asking the question is there anything I might not be honoring? you know, or that I'm, you know, that I might be honoring more than I'm honoring God. You see that something you're placing esteem or value on. That's what it means to honor. So let's move on. The second thing, seek God's plans first. There's another duh thing, but it's the second thing it takes to, to, to nurture, to create an environment and nurture it and protect it for the presence of God to be manifest for the anointing to be manifest, seek God's plans First, you know, Proverbs 3, 6 says, And all your ways submit to him, and he will make your path straight. He'll, he'll, he'll keep you on the path that you need to be on, on the right path. But the thing is, you have to submit your ways to him, everything you do. And, of course, we know Matthew six thirty three. you know, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It's God's kingdom. It's his plans that need to be sought first. The third thing is, I have four things here. Maintain fellowship with God. And keep in tune with the Holy Spirit, who's our helper and our guide. If we're going to endeavor to create and to nurture and protect an environment that promotes the presence of God and invokes the presence of God and the anointing in our midst then we have to, to endeavor to be asking and being led by the Spirit of God in the process. Because he's the, he's the one who knows the mind of God and can deliver it to us. So that we can do and carry out his plan, right? We have to do this, folks. And the only way you can do that is if you learn who you are spirit first. Did you know that the Holy Spirit, he doesn't access, he can, but he doesn't generally come and access your mind and relate to you through your soul. I'm not saying he, he doesn't trigger or can't manifest in a way that comes through those ad, those avenues. I'm just saying that by and large, he's a spirit. He lives in our body. It just so happens that our spirit lives in our body. So that's where the Holy ghost lives too. That's why we're the tabernacle. This body's the tabernacle but it's a tabernacle of spirits. Amen? It's a tabernacle of spirits. And if the Holy Ghost is a spirit and the Father is a spirit and we are a spirit, then guess how we commune intimately with him? By the Spirit. I think then, if we can actually get a hold of this, it will revolutionize our lives. It absolutely will. And, And I just would say, And I learned this from Kenneth Hagin. If you will, you need to just take and just in the morning when you wake up, just say, I'm a spirit. Just confess that. And walk around, you know, at times before you pray, say, I'm a spirit. I'm a spirit. I'm a speaking spirit. I'm spirit first. Y'all see that? Put an emphasis on it. I mean, the thing that you speak from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. As you begin to speak, you can also fill your heart. Fill it with that revelation, with the certainty of who you are first, above all things, that you're a spirit. Because God is spirit, Jesus said, and they that worship him must worship him in... Exactly, the spirit and truth. Worship him in spirit and truth. He didn't say worship him in soul, did he? Worship him in body. He said, "Worship Him in spirit and in truth." That is the that is the communing uh, avenue with God is by spirit. People say, "Well, why do you talk about the spirit all the time?" Well, because I'm talking about how we talk with God, how we commune with God, how we interact with Him first and foremost. Okay. And so, like, let me give you a couple of scriptures here. Romans eight fourteen. These are keystone scriptures. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So we can see that if we're born again children of God, the son and daughter of God, or, or daughter of God, then we are led by the Spirit of God. We should be led by the Spirit of God. Okay? In the process, we're talking about maintaining fellowship with God and being in tune with the Holy Spirit, our helper and guide, as we endeavor to promote an, an environment for the anointing nurture it, create it. The second scripture Romans 8:16 the spirit itself capital S bears witness with our spirit little s that we are the children of God. This is something that I could stop and we could t- teach on for the next two months and I wouldn't even need to make a whole lot of notes because there is so much here that is so important and there is so much revelation and issue with this with this one key, uh, golden text here. In how we are led by the Spirit, I tell you the primary way you're led is by your conscience, the voice of your Spirit, your inner, in this something is called the inner witness. And as we are led, and 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 folks, I can't t- emphasize this enough. If we are going to to experience the change and make the adjustments necessary to promote an environment for the presence of God, to nurture an environment for the presence of God, to protect the anointing and have it strengthened in our midst, emphasized in our midst, we have got to come to the place that we hear the voice of God and be led by it and not take five and six and seven and eight and ten promptings before we make a move. You know, the Bible says don't be like the mule that has to have a bridle put in its mouth and plow reined for the direction it's supposed to go. Don't be like that. Yet how many times, man, have we probably been in a position that the Father God's sitting up on our saddle with a right rein in hand and jerking the rein back, trying to say, I need you to go to the right. How many of y'all ever rode horses before? And you know exactly what I'm talking about. We're, We're not to be like that. That's what the Bible says. We're not to be like the mule or the horse that needs a bit put in its mouth. So that it can be forced one direction. Or We're to be rain trained. You know what rain trained is? That's when you got a horse to wear. When you take that. You you just have to barely move your hand. And the pressure of that rain. Or the, the the slightest touch of that rain on one side of its neck. tells it to go the opposite direction. Or the opposite direction. It's an immediate response. That's the way it should be with the Holy Ghost. We need to. But guess what? You have to develop your spirit to be like that. You have to develop your spirit to hear his voice. You have to develop your spirit to know the inward witness. You have to develop your spirit to know that co-witness that comes alongside of you. And he goes, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. And it seems right. And you you take, you move out on it. Right? Yeah. That's being led by the spirit. You know what, man? I mean, I can think about the prophet. Was it Ezekiel? He took out into the to the mountain, and he had all these manifest rev, uh, 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 manifestations of power, right? The wind and the, and all this stuff that y'all remember this. And yet he said I'm, he wasn't in that. He wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the storm. He wasn't in the earthquake and all this stuff. Whatever it was that happened, I don't remember at all. But y'all remember the story I'm talking about. But what was he in? Oh, it was Elijah. See, I'm getting things mixed up. See, I got Moses and Abraham mixed up last week. I knew I was talking about Moses, but I kept saying Abraham over and over again. Y'all remember that story? What did he say he was in? Guess what? That still small voice is not on the outside. It's right up in here now. For those that know God. For those that have received God and now he dwells inside of us. And that still small voice is exactly what this scripture is talking about. Man, I'm going off on a rabbit trail, but it's so important. Romans 8:16, the Spirit itself bear witness with our spirit. The Spirit itself bear witness with our spirit. Well, if he can bear witness with our spirit that we are the child of God, then guess what? He can bear witness with our spirit about the direction we need concerning a business venture, about the direction we need concerning what we need to pray over somebody, about the thing we need to do concerning small groups, CJ about whatever it is we as we move along it's not that he's going to be out in a big thunder and lightning storm manifesting a marquee of direction that we can go oh this is the path we're supposed to go it's the fact that there's still small voices up inside of us going yeah that's right that's right that's right yes yeah that's the direction keep following that keep following that it's called a co-witness he ba- but guess what he bears witness with our spirit co means to have two or more, cooperate. We have to have more than one entity to cooperate, so the co-witness is a witnessing with your, uh, his voice with uh, with your your spirit spirit, and it's this is all a spiritual activity. But then, that, then what happens is is it become you learn to to identify that you you identify that co-witness, and then it becomes a knowing to your mind. Then you know, oh, I, I, this is the direction I need to go. And you, you walk that out and you're blessed in it because you you, the co-witness was there telling you, confirming the plan, confirming the direction, confirming what it was you're supposed to do. That's how we're led in by the spirit. People say all the time, you got to walk. You hear a lot of ministers talking about we need to be led by the spirit. Let us Well, What does that mean to be led by the spirit? That's what I'm talking about. That's what they're talking about. The co-witness. How many of y'all ever had the code in this? Amen. <laughs> hey I know y'all have. Just making sure you're with me. And... And, and one more, last scripture there on that last, on that point. Galatians 525. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So if we live by the Spirit, we've been talking about this and we're talking about what it takes one of the principal things that it takes in order to nurture, to create, to nurture and promote an environment for the anointing of God, the presence of God. That's what we want, right? Stronger, more, greater. Folks, I want to be at the place to where, when so- like when Solomon, when he opened up the temple and the ministers got up there, the presence and weightiness of God was such that they couldn't even minister. They fell out. CJ, I want to be at the place to where whenever any one of us steps up here to deliver a word, We get so overwhelmed by the glory of God, the kabod of God, we can't function. And what happens is the weight comes down in here and it presses every one of us down to the floor. (laughs) I want to see the manifestation of God's presence to the point that sin can't be in that midst. I want to see the manifestation of God's presence to the point to where there's flame of fire on the top of this building that, that serves a beacon for the people in this area and draws them here for the well of, of water, of eternal life. And they, they come in here in all kinds of bondage and leave completely free. Delivered, healed, set free in a child of God, full of the Spirit. You know what, you know what will do that? The presence of God. The anointing. Do you know what will convert the most hardened soul? A creative miracle. Whenever they see someone who who like Ron King, with no leg on one side, and a leg grows out, a real one, and that wooden leg goes popping off into the, and flies off in the atmosphere and hits someone sitting over there and knocks them out under the spirit. I don't know about you, but it's going to be pretty hard to sit there in the vanity of your mind and and justify that away. Folks, when we have that kind of manifestation, but you know what it takes? It takes the presence of God. It takes the anointing. It takes the workings of miracles, the gifts of healings, the power gifts of the Spirit. The ELT have been praying the past couple Wednesday mornings from 5 to 6 together. We have a prayer meeting. We're all in our separate places physically, but in the spirit, we're together. I could sound like I almost can reach out and touch my brothers in the spirit. And you know what? I found myself praying this morning quite a bit about the power gifts of the spirit to be manifest. You know, the working of miracles, gifts of, or a special faith, gifts of healings. Because what will happen is when you see that happen, a fire will start. A fire will start, and I got to tell you, it will, and the more that that happens, it will rage to a place of, it, of attracting the world to the reality of the truth of God. I'm talking about it, it, people that are lifelong Muslim, lifelong Islamic faith, agnostic, atheistic. It doesn't make any difference. When you, when you see the reality of a creative miracle it's, it, I mean, you, you gotta be completely jacked up. You gotta have such a, a, a almost a near possession of, <laughs> of the devil and a, and a, a foolishness of, and vanity of, 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 mind to deny something like a creative miracle taking place in front of your eyes. Someone being raised from the dead. Oh my goodness. It, 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 it'll ignite a fire. But it takes the anointing. It takes the presence of God. And we're talking about what it takes to, to get that, to see that uh, strengthened. And then the fourth point. We've had four, four points Here's the fourth point on this. Spent a lot of time on this. Don't, I, I, man, this is, there's no sense in reinventing the wheel here. There's a good wheel out here, and I'm going to present it to us. Don't seek the spectacular and miss the supernatural. I love that. Don't seek the spectacular and miss the supernatural. Seek God's ways and not His hand. That's what, another way of saying that, I think. Because if we're constantly going out and chasing these grandiose fireworks things, if we got our concept to, to a potential, now don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not, uh, uh contradicting myself here. But we got too many believers, too many people that are running from church to church, they're running from experience or running from a uh, service to service to chasing the experience. And but but what is the experience ultimately? I mean, is really you can't get to the place. It gets back to what we talked about earlier. That's honoring the experience more than the experiencer. The one who makes that experience happen. See what I'm saying? What are the what was the first point we started out with? honor God above all else see you've got to a place that you're honoring his ways more than his or more his deeds more than his ways but more than a relationship see what I'm saying and a lot of people man they get themselves their faith shipwrecked they get to a place that because they're constantly chasing the spectacular and yet they're missing you know applying themselves to, and and walking in the light that they have and applying themselves to And submitting themselves to where God has them to bloom where they should be, to to bloom where they are planted, okay, where they should be planted, and to do the exploits God's called them to do through that in that process and at that time. I'm not telling you don't go to services now. I'm not telling you don't go to miracle revivals. Not I'm not saying that. Do y'all see what I'm saying? That's the fourth point. So in the process, let's don't get distracted by. Cause when we do get to the, when we do get to the place that we have those man, miracles and manifestations, we have to be very careful of one thing. That our, our purpose in coming is not to see that. It's to experience God. That's just a byproduct. Do y'all see what I'm saying? We, we've got to keep that, and as leaders, we have to constantly keep that, we have to constantly remind ourselves of that. Cause it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when we see that. I believe that with all my heart. It's a matter of when we see that. And so we'll have to constantly be falling before the Lord and God, asking Him for His grace. God, keep our eyes on the prize. And that's you. Keep our eyes on the prize. That's you. And that's people. It's not, it's not, it's not the hand. It's the way of God that we're looking at all the time, keeping the eyes on the prize. Okay. So let's move out of that then. That's a little set. That's a little, little side journey there. But I think it was an important one. I felt God putting a real emphasis on that. So then we can see over in. Um, well, I got my I got my things messed up. I think it's chapter five twenty-two. No, it's before that four twenty-two. I chopped off a number here. Anyway, in First Samuel, the death of Eli and the birth of Ichabod. And that's, that was a a, a, man, a, a physical manifestation, the birth of Ichabod. His name meant the glory departed. That was a physical manifestation and basically a declaration of what had actually happened from a spiritual perspective. The glory had already departed was the truth. The ark was gone. The presence of God was gone. And then we see a, a physical manifestation of that reality, that spiritual reality. Okay, so... If we move on to 1 Samuel 5, then we see what happens to the presence of God. We see what happens to the anointing of God, the potential of God in the midst of the people after it's been captured. It comes under the control of something called Dagon, D-A-G-O-N. And in 1 Samuel 5, 1 through 5, verses 1 through 5, we see that the ark then gets actually housed in the temple of Dagon. And so verses one through four then chronicle the result of an attempt by the enemy to contain the presence of God. And you know, one time I left from church, this has been years back, um, and, uh, we were driving out here on 51. It was in a thunderstorm, actually. And and so we didn't, uh, we didn't go our normal way. We kind of went on a little bit wider road. (laughs) So we didn't have to drive on those narrow 33, highway 33 roads. We're driving on Highway 51, I'm going back, and we're praying. We just come from a very strong, I mean, just a particular, uh, particularly anointed service. We're praying. And as I'm praying, I'm praying in the Spirit. Well then, out of my mouth comes, uh, English words that my, that my natural man can understand, obviously. I don't understand what I speak in the Spirit. Okay, but my natural, man understands English okay that's that's the language I speak and a few Spanish words like taco and enchilada and things like that but uh out of my mouth comes a an authoritative prayer taking authority over the spirit of Dagon and I folks when that came out of my mouth I didn't even know what I said it came out my mouth about taking authority over the spirit of Dagon and commanding that work to, I mean, all this stuff was coming out. Well, I immediately had to get home, you know, to open up my Bible because this is before I had an eye device with all my Bible at my fingertips, you know, where I could, because is at nighttime. And so I had to get home where I could get in the light, read my Bible and look up Dagon and realize this story. That it's a real thing. And as I begin to pray and seek the Lord, He began to unveil some of the things that I'm teaching to you right now. About how the anointing can fall captive to an enemy. About how the anointing can be lost to, to, and be sequestered, if you will, and controlled and manipulated. Not to, not to a productive end, but to a controlled end, to an end of no avail in our midst. Amen or oh me. And so then I began to realize, based on some things that had been taking place and different things, oh my goodness, the spirit of Dagon is the action, it's the anti-anointing. It's a thing that would try to usurp and take a place over and in control of the anointing. To put it in subservience. And so then we see here, this is what happens to the presence of God. To the ark of God. It comes in. The enemy makes this attempt to contain and actually take the presence of God and the power of God and unite it under the leadership of their idol, Dagon. And Dagon was a, a hybrid deity. And it was a deity that was basically the torso of a man and then the, the remainder of the body was a fish. Okay? So a fish tail and all this kind of stuff. But the torso of a man the hands in the in the head and torso of a man okay so here's the deal though you cannot contain the holy spirit or the anointing amen and we see in this pre, in this story exactly what happens whatever we might subject him to although for the moment will fall. Although for the moment, making to no avail the anointing at our, at that time in our lives, it will fall at some point in time. And so we need to examine our lives to see what we're subjecting the Holy Spirit to. I feel like that, that's what a lot of what this story teaches me. Are we doing anything in our lives? And let's just move on a little bit so I can build that picture. Dagon was idolatry at its simplest form. Dagon was nothing. He was an idol. That was built by human hands and became worshipped and revered as a deity. Dagon was an idol. So Dagon really represents in its simplest form, idolatry. So then if we go ahead and start to use the transitive property, if A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C, then we can say that, that get Dagon out of the midst and just call it idolatry can control the anointing, can make it to no avail, can manipulate and, 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 and weaken it's, it's value in our midst, it's presence, it's ability. Y'all see that where I'm going? Idolatry is, is, is equal to the control of the anointing and limitation to its manifestation and power. So really we can just move the name Dagon out of it and just call it idolatry. In verses 6 through 12 of chapter 5, God's hand is heavy. And that word heavy actually comes, I saw, from a Hebrew word, kabod. My mom knows what that word means. It means the weightiness of the glory of God. I've heard you talk about that, mom. It's the same word that's being used. It's the weightiness of God's presence, his power. And it says that that power, though, didn't come uh, uh, bringing a glorious result in the midst of those that would try to control it. It actually came... And it said the heaviness of God was upon the Philistines to the point that a a plague, if you will, of sorts of mice and of tumors of no uncertain kind erupted on all the people that were happened to be around the camp where the anointing was being controlled, where the anointing was being subjected by idolatry, to idolatry. Okay? And those tumors, if you look at the original Hebrew language... It's actually talking about hemorrhoids. Now I know that sounds crazy, but that's absolutely what the, what the, what the word talks about when it talks about tumor. Hemorrhoids. It's talking about hemorrhoids. And I don't, I'm, piles. I'm talking about bad ones. I'm not talking about ones that preparation H are going to touch here. I'm talking about things that were so Inflamed and so bad that they literally could make a golden object to represent them. No, because that's exactly what they did. Now, far be it for me to, to, to give you a clear prophetic interpretation of hemorrhoids. I could probably stand here and give you a couple things, but the Lord hasn't given me a full uh, prophetic vision of that. So we're not going to spend a lot of time on that. But that's exactly what happened. So in 1 Samuel chapter 6, we're going to start into this, and then we'll end and come back next week. The leaders of the Philistines then decide to send the ark back because they're tired of hemorrhoids. They're tired of the pain in the butt that this thing has caused. And they're tired of the mice and the plague and the thing that's going on with them. And they find that as they move it from town to town, and Gath is one of the towns that you see talked about here. And guess what Gath was? Gath was the hometown of who? Goliath. Goliath of Gath. And boy, Goliath didn't, boy uh, Gath and Goliath had no concept of the pain in the butt that this was going to manifest in in the future whenever David, a young boy named David was going to show up on the on the scene. The, the time for their pain in the rear was not over whenever they got rid of the ark. It just began. So it went to five different Philistine territory or five different Philistine cities. And so then the leaders of the Philistine said, we have got to get rid of this thing. This thing is causing, it's bringing plagues on us. They literally go and get the diviners and the priests of Dagon and of the people that were religious and, and idol worshipers. And you know the crazy thing is for the lack of and the ignorance and the and the inability of God's own priests to lead things correctly these idolatrous priests actually came up with wise counsel. They did. And they told them, "Oh, they said that well, you got to send this thing away, but don't just send it away, you need to send it away with an on, with an offering that you honor honor it." Now it's kind of a weird offering because they made five tumors, five big old huge hemorrhoids, golden hemorrhoids, and then five big old rats. And they said you got to send it away with that with that offering, and then then hopefully that will will serve as as a way for us to be forgiven in this. And boy, we see the weightiness of God; it lifted off of them at that point in time, and you know that stuff went away. So they send the ark away, being borne by milk cows on a cart down a road, and it comes to Beth Shemesh first. And we see that although they received it with joy, and you have to get on into the next chapters of 1 Samuel to see this. We see that although the, the folks of Beth Shemesh received it with joy, and these are the people of God, it says that they, here's the thing though, folks. They still did not know how to properly treat or respect the presence of God. Even though now the anointing is coming back to its rightful place, it's on its journey back to its rightful place. And even now coming into the hands of the covenant people of God, they still did not know how to treat the presence of God. They did not know how to treat it. And you can, and and I'm gonna give you the reason for it. Here it is. 1 Samuel chapter 3 verse 1 says, In those days the word of the Lord was rare and prophetic visions were not widespread. It's because there was no proper teaching, in my opinion. That's what I see and feel like the Holy Ghost revealed to me in this story. It's because there was not any kind of teaching. They received it with joy. But they still didn't know how to properly cheat or respect the presence of the Lord, and and what the Lord, the Holy Ghost was just just actually absolutely seething through me, to, you know, as I was going through this was that, that this is a very important lesson in the need for teaching folks in our midst. We have to have teaching, and I'm not just talking about front of house ministry teaching. That, that's a part of it, but that's a small part. I'm talking about teaching of fathers of their sons and daughters, of mothers of their daughters, the old women with the young women, the old men with the young men, like it says over in Titus chapter two. Because that's exactly what, that's, that's exactly what did not happen, I believe. We need to learn the proper order of worship. And the proper way to honor God. And we have to pass this on to our generations. Because that's not, the, that's the reason I believe that these, the people in Beth Shemesh, that was not passed on to them. Why? Because it says in the preceding chapter, or you know, in, in First Samuel chapter 3, that the word of the Lord was scarce. That means it wasn't being taught. That means the fathers weren't teaching their sons. Mothers weren't teaching their daughters about the precepts of God and how you respect the anointing and so forth. So it's a very important lesson. And I, I would invite you to read Titus chapter 2. And we can see that in uh, to, to to bring a New Testament exemplification of what I'm talking about. Read Titus chapter 2. We need that to happen. What it says in Titus chapter 2, we need that to happen desperately, folks. We're losing generation. We're losing the generation because what Paul is, or what's being encouraged in Titus chapter 2 is not happening. And we see the reason, or we see the manifestation of what that can, can lead to in this, in this story. And we see that in this story, 50,000 people died because of their ignorance. And I'm going to stop there and we'll pick it up next week. Praise God. Father, thank you for the word. Thank you, Father God, that it doesn't matter, Lord God, what emotion or what uh, emphasis, Father God, I can bring out of it from a natural perspective. What matters is, Holy Ghost, that you carry forth the message and you uh, uh, transmit it by the anointing into people's hearts, that it would become, Father God, an illumination and understanding to their mind. Father, help us. Help us to understand, O oh God. Help us to understand and know what changes we need to make and adjustments we need to make to promote an atmosphere for your presence and your anointing, oh God, that we so desperately want. We just thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen.